You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. And uh, this week, uh, I'll be honest, I've been helping my boy with his online learning, which means I've not actually managed to do any show notes, which it means it's lucky that we have a special guest. We have Nick Furneaux of CSI Tech, um, who is a specialist, I believe, in cryptocurrency crime. Is that not so, Nick? That is, yeah, that's pretty correct. Can you can you play the music again? Because I was getting my middle aged dad groove on. It was uh, <laughs> it was great. I was having a moment. Yeah, there uh, we go. That that is. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I um I investigate cryptocurrency. Well, I say I investigate cryptocurrency crime. There's there's an interesting debate over there's such a thing uh, as the job that I have, but I investigate crimes that involve cryptocurrency. Um, fundamentally, theft is theft, and ransomware is ransomware, and uh, and things like that. But we we sort of try and track the untrackable, really. Okay, well, we'll talk about a bit about that, I guess. And uh, also, we're joined by Nick Spligosh. Hello, Nick. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I'm glad I'm the only one who grooves down to the music. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I have to admit that uh, when I play one of the, you know, the various theme tunes, I uh, do tend to, you know, wave my fingers along as we wind up to the wow, start. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, you know, it gets me in the groove, indeed, ready for the show. So, um, now we're going to have some confusion here, aren't we, Nick? So, I, I think I might just call Nick Spligosh for this show. So that I think that's probably get, a good idea. Uh, yeah. Probably a good idea. And or, then even, or even Splig, if you want to make it yeah. a bit shorter. All right, yeah, well, <laughs> indeed. So, um, we'll go with Nick. So, obviously... Uh, I'm pretty sure most people are, uh, certainly people who listen to this show, are probably aware of what cryptocurrency is and how it works. But just in case anybody isn't, would you like to explain the concept behind cryptocurrencies and basically how they're supposed to be untrackable? Yeah, well, I, I teach a foundation class for law enforcement, actually. So if we um, if we just do the first three hours um, mm-hmm. now, um, <laughs> we could be done. Sounds uh, good. The dinner, and um, so off we go. Uh, right, let's let's try and bring this down into something that only takes a couple of minutes. Um, actually, I tell you what, I'll I'll give you uh, I'll give you a little example because I I wrote the only book in the world actually on investigating cryptocurrency crime. It was published by Wiley back in uh, 2018. It's still the only book in the world on the subject, which is crazy. I think it's probably because nobody wants to read um, a book on investigating <laughs> cryptocurrency crime, which could be why I'm the only one. Um, Fundamentally, cryptocurrencies, uh, they are famous for Bitcoin, of course. Everyone's heard about Bitcoin and how it seems to make loads of money and uh, how is it making loads of money when it's not actually real and not physical. Um, But fundamentally, the the person, the he, the she or they who developed Bitcoin, a guy, I say a guy, a person called Satoshi Nakamoto, there seemed to be a a bit of a, a motivation there to generate a currency that was not fundamentally under the control of government. 
um, because the, the sterling are pound. It used to be based on what's called the gold standard. So there used to be literally gold in the Bank of England that supported every pound. We don't have that anymore. I think we sold it all to America. Um, now, uh, sterling is based on something called fiscal policy, which to <laughs> my mind sounds like fiction. I think it's actually making it up as they go along. But that, that say, that's a, apart um, from the political part of that, I think, yes, basing it on fiscal <laughs> policy means it's about as un, uh, unexplainable to most people as the uh, blockchain. Yes, absolutely. So 2009, Satoshi Nakamoto came up with this idea of a currency where the ledger, and by a ledger, I literally mean a sort of a spreadsheet of transactions, would be transacted, it would be sort of um, distributed amongst all of its users. So everybody could have a copy of every single transaction that ever happened within that currency. And, and that is the term distributed ledger that you might see bounded about with the word blockchain. Now, don't get all up in a tizzy about blockchain. People think it's uh, some sort of Jedi magic. Actually, blockchain is just, how can we describe it, shoebox put slips of transactions in it with, I sent you this much money. And after 10 minutes, put a lid on, lock it, and then put another shoebox on top. And then fill that with transactions for 10 minutes, put a lid on another one. And all of those shoeboxes are the blocks in a chain. There you go, blockchain. Um, so actually, the concept is very, very simple. But he wanted this idea of distributed ledger system that had no centralized control. Um, so we have this really weird situation where... Uh, miners sort of set themselves up with huge numbers of very expensive computers, and they try and solve very hard cryptographic problems called hashing uh, on all the transactions that are have been made in the last 10 minutes, simplifying it. And if you win, then you win some Bitcoin. And so the Bitcoin system generates new Bitcoin into the uh, environment. And then people can transact those Bitcoins just like they can a five or a 10 pound note, but of course, all electronically. So this never exists as a physical coin. So with Bitcoin, we're left with a system where there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins because cryptographically, that's how many it will ever produce. Um, we're already up to, I think, about 18 million. So there's a scarcity of these coins. And a whole load of people around the world decided it was all a good idea. So something that was worth about 50p in 2010 hit $40,000 um, uh, two weekends ago. So cryptocurrencies are just an electronic form of currency with no centralized ledger. Now, there are others like Tether and some of these uh, cryptocurrencies that are connected to the dollar and this sort of thing. They're a little bit different. Um, but fundamentally, as you can imagine, because accounts in Bitcoin are fundamentally anonymous, because the addresses are pseudo-anonymous, um, it's an absolutely fantastic pay place to put your hard-earned criminal money. Uh, and so we, we come along uh, with the police and we go, oh, heck, this is going to be tough. Um, and it's just trying to decipher and unpick where people have put money in this ethereal, locationless currency and breathe. <laughs> Did any of that make 
any sense in the English language to you? Uh, yes, I think so. I think that was a pretty good description of it. And uh, as you say, there are, I mean, the, the probably the second most famous one after Bitcoin is Ethereum, which is one that probably quite a lot of people have heard of. Mm. Um, but I know there are. So, so, how, so how does it relate to, um, I, I'm, I'm very loath to call it real money. But... No, no, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> So how does how does it all how does it all relate to real money? I mean, if someone has I don't know ten bitcoins, what what can they sell those? Real people that give them real money for them? Yeah, and that that's how they get these ridiculous. I, things. I, I am now calling the entire cryptocurrency um, uh, sort of ecosystem into question um, because the the value of real currency to a bitcoin is set by the users. So you know the whole concept of something is only worth how much somebody will pay for it. Yes. yes. Art, for example. Um, so somebody, you know, sort of, actually, my I've got disabled daughter, and she did a fantastic picture yesterday that looks just like a Matisse. But I'm telling you, it was not worth the same as a Matisse <laughs> because she isn't called, wait for it, Matisse. And and so, you know, if, if I put that on, on the internet, on eBay, nobody's going to give me 48 million for it. Because why? Because somebody has decided that my daughter's art isn't Matisse. Uh, and actually, a cryptocurrency is the same. So what we have is this electronic money, which is only ever stored in ledgers around the world. And because there's a scarcity of it and because it is... Something becomes an asset when someone decides it is, and enough people mm. have decided it is. And so there are now exchanges all over the world. So in the UK, we've got big ones like Coinbase and uh, Binance and Kraken and all these, these companies are exchanges. And they work just like foreign exchange um, sort of transactions. So you can go to Coinbase and say, I have a Bitcoin. They'll say, well done. And um, you say, how much will you give me for it? They'll make an offer based on the, the sort of the, the, the exchange rate that is accepted that day. And they'll hand you over your $35,000, I think it is today. Um, and, and away you go. Or the other way around. You can rock up to, to Coinbase, set up a little account. You can deposit a couple of thousand into your account and you can purchase a fraction of a Bitcoin with that. And, uh, and they, they give you, well, they give you nothing, actually. <laughs> they, they give you a little <laughs> entry in your account that says, hey, you just gave us a load of money and we've added 0.02 to your account of a Bitcoin. Um, so yes, you are able to move between currencies. Um, and that's where it sort of got quite exciting. And the reason mm -hmm. the values have gone absolutely crazy recently is because of a lack of confidence in traditional, they're called fiat currencies, currencies that are controlled by governments. And of course, America has been, oh, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> in anyway, chaos. They have, they have America? <laughs> whatever word you'd like to choose um, over the last few weeks. And um, so there's been a, an awful lot of um, lack of confidence in the dollar. And um, whereas traditionally people go to gold, um, they are also now going to places like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, and of course, as soon as money starts rushing to an asset, the prices of those assets go up. So I think we will see, like, don't ever take investment advice from an investigator. Let me just put that. <laughs> right now. You know, I, three years ago, I sat on a beach with a mate of mine. And uh, actually, he's a cracking bloke. If you're interested, called Chris Hadnagy, um, H-A-D-N-A-G-Y. And he is the world's foremost social engineering expert. So if you want to know how to con somebody or know if somebody is conning you, Chris Hadnagy's books are the best in the world. And, and I was sat by a swimming pool with Chris three years ago. And he said to me, um, 
So, Nick, is it this Bitcoin stuff? Is it worth buying? And I was writing the book at the time and I was like, nah, mate, snake oil. And he was like, because, you know, it's $2,300. I was like, dude, seriously, if you want to lose your money, you go for it. So he called me the other week when it was at $40,000 <laughs> and said, mate, you know, are we even still talking? And I made the same comment. Do not take investment advice from an investigator. We do not know what we're talking about when it comes to that stuff. So at the moment, you know, I'm seeing Bitcoin bouncing around that 35, 40,000 bucks. I think as America, if America settles um, and things settle post-Brexit in the UK, I think we will see uh, a slight sort of stabilization of price. This has become a very serious podcast about <laughs> and finance. <laughs> Somebody should tell a joke about something. It makes a, it makes a lot of sense, really, because um, uh, I, I'm uh, fairly newly retired, just about just about twelve months now. Congratulations! And um, I used to work for a water company, uh, and of course, water companies are seen as very um, safe because everyone will always need water. Um, so, if things are going wrong in the world, people tend to buy water shares because they're they're secure. They're, they're not going to make you a lot of money, but they're secure. Um, so, it's sort of the opposite, really, to what you've been talking about. But, yeah. uh, but it, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. And um, the, the future, I think the problem with, with Bitcoin is, is twofold. And the first thing, it's not really a currency. You know, yeah. I can't pop down to my local McCall's and buy a Mars bar with the Bitcoin because the transaction of that's probably going to cost me about three quid. <laughs> so it's it's not really a currency. It, it's it's just an intangible asset, which means what's the point of it? But then I guess you could say, what's the point of a Matisse? You know, it yeah. is literally what, what, you know, somebody gains some pleasure from it and they think an asset has a value, then I guess it has a value. Um, but I mean, the reality is, is that what we're seeing is an awful lot of criminal money running into these uh, running into these cryptocurrencies because you can move money very easily across borders because there are no banks in the way, if you like, with yeah. taking all that data and passing it to law enforcement. So it, it's become trickier for law enforcement to be able to you know, track and trace the movement uh, of criminal money. And that, that's sort of what we try and help them with. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, the other thing is, um, I will just mention, I'm sure, um, again, I'd say most people who follow this probably uh, are aware, but a Bitcoin um, is divided into um, Satoshis. And there are how many Satoshis to a Bitcoin? A hundred million Satoshis in a Bitcoin. Really? That's a lot yeah. of that's a lot of Satoshis. <laughs> it, it, it's a significant Satoshi amount, isn't it? Yeah. So yes. I mean, the whole point of it was that, you know, potentially things would be priced in Satoshi. So when I went to buy my Mars bar, I am trying to not eat sugar at the moment. So that's why it's on my mind. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, that would be just a few Satoshis, a bit like pence, you know, and a Bitcoin would be the overriding, a bit like when sterling, a pound, you know, meant you could buy a small baronial home and some, <laughs> yes. you know, inappropriate stuff. Um, and, you know, I think that's what was the, the, the concept of a Bitcoin. It would be this overriding amount. And then the Satoshis were so granular that it could be used to buy anything. But the fees for every transaction make that just not workable at the moment. There we are. Yeah. And paying for your Mars bar with a, with a Bitcoin is going to be problematic, isn't it? Not only because it might cost you more to actually buy it, but but because will they have £31,000 in change? <laughs> <laughs> Well, of course, yeah, that, actually, that's really quite a good point. The nice thing is the Bitcoin system does calculate change and, and provide change back in, you know, your Bitcoin, your Satoshi. So it does sort of deal with all that stuff. It's a very, very, very clever system. 
mm. um, and incredibly secure. I know we were talking about security stuff before um, before you hit the record button, but uh, interestingly, uh, Bitcoin has never been hacked. And you know, anyone that's listening that follows tech news will be like, "You must be joking." There's been vast thefts of Bitcoin. And that is true, but not actually from exploiting the Bitcoin network. It's all been exploiting the endpoints. So social engineering, social engineering right. attacks against individuals, um, hacks against exchanges. The actual blockchain itself has been untouched. Um, incredibly secure. And it's fundamentally the same code from 2009. So it's pretty... I can't think of anything else that was has been programmed since then <laughs> that still hasn't been hacked. No, absolutely. Everything <laughs> else has. Yes, so, that's um, remarkable. Yeah. I should say, as this is an Apple podcast, I am an Apple person. I am surrounded by Apple kit at the moment. Jolly good. And, that's what we um, like to hear. Makes me feel part of the group, really. That's good. Which is nice. Some big Alienware workstation with Windows 10 on it. I feel, uh, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, so that's it's an interesting area, um, and it, it's it's a it's certainly a, a growth area because of it, you know it's a growth it's a growth industry if we can call it that. And um, there's actually over eight thousand tradable cryptocurrencies at the moment. Eight thousand of the critters. Um, well, of course, we've only actually heard of a, a very very small subset of them. So, but yeah, yeah, it is interesting. It is interesting, and also, as you say, very secure. Um, and as we had the story, at least two stories. I think it was last week or the week before. There's the guy who, at the point that we uh, reported the story, only had two guesses left to recall his password for his 250 million quid's worth of Bitcoin, um, yep. in his electronic wallet. Um, <laughs> frantically lying awake at night trying to remember what the password was, or, or the yep. whole thing goes poof. Um, and the other one was the guy, um, which I think was in the UK, who'd managed to somehow thinks his electronic wallet went in the trash and uh, is in the, you know, corporation dump and has offered to pay the local council, I forget what it was, a uh, five well, million or something to be able to dig through in the hope of finding it. Oh, yeah, I mean, they should let him because literally he's offered them 54 million pounds. And it's it's Newport Council, and I don't think Newport Council have ever had more than fifty quid. So <laughs> they could sort of literally turn themselves into, you know, the South Wales Vegas or something, you know, with fifty. So I, I think they should do it. I think the problem is, you know, any hard drives that you know any hard drive that was not an SSD, which of course it wasn't when he chucked it away, uh, which is all platters and, and spindles and reed heads, um, is is. It's going to be hot, isn't it? This thing is going to be boiling hot, um, way down in a tip. It's going to be, it's going to be eroding terribly. I just, I'm not seeing it. Even no, if that's it. That's it. You know, a, he's got to find it, and B, that's assuming that if when it went in the truck, it didn't get caught in the masher, <laughs> smashed into fragments as it went into the back of the truck, as they put them in those compactors. That Bitcoin is never recoverable. From from the so there's only 21 million and let's say he had I can't remember how many he had let's say he had 150 of the critters um it's totally unrecoverable it can never be reprinted like physical money uh, and right. this, so that it, money disappears effectively yeah gone forever so it's that scarcity and you think how many people did a bit with Bitcoin 10 years ago and thought that was a waste of time and then chucked their old laptop away and bought something sensible like an Apple Mac and um uh, and the, just the, the the tens and tens of thousands of Bitcoin that will never be recovered. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's really really fascinating. But we're, we're going to hear 
hear more of these uh, for sure of people that lose their private keys, lose their passwords, their seed words. Um, and also a lot of people don't know what they're doing. And so they're putting you know, a few thousand into something they don't really understand um, because the, the technology is quite complicated uh, for a lay person. So, yeah, it's tricky, but a fascinating subject nonetheless. Definitely, definitely a fascinating. So um, obviously you, as, as you said, you investigate crimes which involve um, cryptocurrency. So no doubt effectively trying to unpick the uh, the blockchain to some extent and follow the money yeah. back down the chain. Um, That's it. How, no, I'm not going to ask you to reveal any trade secrets, but, um, you know, how, within, <laughs> within, you explain exactly you, to us. <laughs> could you explain to us? No, not exactly, because we'll be here for two years, but, um, I was going to say, could you explain roughly how you go about doing such a thing? Yeah, I, honestly, this, this could be just the best social engineering attack ever, this podcast, couldn't it? Because you, so yeah, you <laughs> To really understand it, if you could send us a little bit of Bitcoin, we'll send it straight back just so we can see how it works. <laughs> it was the most convoluted social engineering attack on the planet. Um, oh, dear, that would be ace. Um, how do we do it? Um, well, that, that's actually a really, really good question. What, what we're always trying to do, of course, because the blockchain in Bitcoin's uh, case is open source, so everyone can see every transaction, as I mentioned uh, previously. Um, if we know, for example, that, um, uh, well, let's, let's take an, let's give you a real example. So I had a phone call from a guy he heard, and, and I'm, I'm not going to make any comment on the, the sense uh, of this. He'd actually taken his entire pension pot, of course, for a million pounds and put it all into Bitcoin. Now this was two years ago. So financially he actually made a brilliant decision, um, because it's worth about sort of 10 times the amount now. So he's now got about two and a half mil. Except, except for the fact he um, he backed up what are called his private key, his seed words. So when you set up a cryptocurrency wallet, um, the backup is given to you in between 12 and 24 words from a dictionary. So it might be sort of dog, fish, volatile, excellent. You know, it's this list of words. Yeah. And, um, and interestingly, mathematically, the, the mathematical options of even just 12 words are more than the number of atoms in the universe. Really very interesting. Um, and but what he did, he thought, well, how, how do I secure this? So he wrote it on a piece of paper, folded it up, put it in his wallet and his wallet would stay in his jacket, which would hang in the staff room when he went to work. And he said to his boss, I'll keep an eye on my jacket because my backup seed words are in my wallet. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, it got stolen, which is very suspicious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, so in that case, we know where the money was. And so because the blockchain is open source, we can see where it has moved to. Uh, and yeah. so what we might see is that it moves to an address and then to another address. And then maybe it hits an address that we can, I won't go into these details, but we can then identify potentially as an exchange. And we can infer, mm, maybe that address is owned by Coinbase. And we can go to Coinbase and say, oi, we reckon this is stolen money. And they will hopefully play ball and give us some information on the account holder, if that makes sense. So that, that's very straightforward. That's all well known. Uh, that's all sort of open source. The problem comes with the particular crime I have in mind is that the person stole quarter of a million worth of Bitcoin, sent it to an address they clearly own, and then we think has got cold feet because it's never moved. It's uh -huh. just sat there. And so there's fundamentally no way until they do something with it 
that we can actually track and trace to an endpoint and sort of try and figure out who this might be. So even though we have rather strong suspicions, and you don't need to be a 30-year detective to know who I'm, I've got in the frame for it, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we, we really can't sort of, we can't recover that money unless we can find the person who stole it and then get their seed words, their private key, and then recover those funds. So, but as you can imagine, the, the, the crimes are really interesting. So drug dealers are now yeah. doing drug deals on the street using crypto phone to phone, um, terrorism funding, you know, so people think, oh, I can, it's all, all anonymous. I can donate to my friendly neighborhood terrorist and um, no one's going to know it was me. Um, ransomware, of course, you know, we are going to lock all the machines in the intensive care unit, which happened in April, um, unless you give us a quarter of a million quid. Um, which you've got to pay for in, in Bitcoin. And so there are so many different ways by which crypto is now being used to just try and obfuscate the movement of the money uh, fundamentally. So people don't have to say, you know, put put a suitcase in a bin in Grand Central Station and <laughs> then come here alone and, and then please walk away. We all know how that ends in movies. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas you know, if you can get someone to be paid in Bitcoin, then we're on the back foot. And we need to start, you know, fairly complex investigation. It can be done, but it's hard. It's hard. It does so, sound interesting. It does sound interesting, yeah. <laughs> and, well, you know, I've, I, my wife always says I've got geek tattooed on the back of my neck. And I think she's <laughs> right. Yeah, um, but you're talking to other geeks. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually have any friends. You know, people don't like me talking about it in the pub. They just shush me. Um, <laughs> and um, so I have to, you know, sort of pretend I'm something interesting, like a civil servant or an accountant or something. <laughs> 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 oh no, he's off on his blockchain ranting again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, off he goes. And of course, I think they would find me interesting if I had bought 150 Bitcoin at 50p back in 2000. Yeah, I'm sure they would. Then I think I would be a very attractive person. Um, but because for years I've been saying, nah, useless snake oil, I think they just think I'm a bit of an idiot, really. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, when we all look back on our, our past, there are always op opportunities that come our way that we don't realise are opportunities at the time. <laughs> I, I think uh, one of the things we've one of the things we've talked about in the past is that uh, um, I was part of the oh what did they used to call them? I think it was called the Acorn Clan back right. in the days of Acorn, and uh, we were offered shares in a company called Acorn Risk Machines, mm. oh, which of course are. became advanced <laughs> became Arm. And, uh, of course, I've got no money at the time, so I didn't buy any. <laughs> Do you know, there there, you um, there's a, a great story. Back in 2010, um, there was a guy who was on a forum, like what's called Bitcoin Talk. So, of course, Bitcoin only been around a year and a half. And um, he said, look, I've been mining Bitcoin in my bedroom and I'll buy two pizzas. Will anyone take Bitcoin for two beats pizzas and deliver them to me? And so um, a local pizza delivery, a Papa John, said, yeah, yeah, all right, we'll do it. And he paid them 10,000 Bitcoin, <laughs> for the pizza, which at the time was worth about $41. Yeah. And uh, I've just looked it up for you. And today the two pizzas are worth $316 million. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd expect extra pepperoni for that, definitely. Yeah, you ought to have extra pepperoni. <laughs> Maybe, you know, just a, a little spattering of diamonds. Um, <laughs> worthwhile. So really, really extraordinary. I mean, that just sort of demonstrates 
that, you know, if you had been doing stuff with Bitcoin back in 2010, you know, 10,000 Bitcoins was, was dollars. It was dollars. Yeah. And now you, you, you would be, if you had had the guts to stick with it so recently. Of well, course. this is the classic, isn't it? Because I remember, yeah. right, uh, and I think I've told this story before, but back in the uh, sort of early 90s, when Apple were not doing very well, in the back of the Mac user, there was always a little advert that said, um, you know, buy one Apple share for the, like, you know, the Mac geek in your life. And I, I forget what they charged at the time. Obviously, there was the price of the share, which wasn't a great deal. And then, you know, putting it in a frame and, and all the rest of it and delivering it to the person, you know, in a presentation box and, and all the rest. But um, I think it was probably about £70 or something, all told, to buy this, you know, one wow. share. Um, which was, you know, substantially more than the shares were worth by a long way. But the whole point was you got an actual share certificate framed and authenticated and the whole thing. And I always thought about buying one, but I, I never really could justify putting aside, I don't know, a 50 or 70 quid or whatever it was. Um, but if I'd bought one then and kept it on my wall, it would now be worth, you know, what are they selling for now? I don't know. And if you, but the thing is, you've got to have, and, and if you had one share, I don't suppose you'd worry too much. But, you know, if you bought in at the time when you could buy Apple shares for, I don't know, $10 a piece or something and held on to them, you'd be a multi-millionaire now. You absolutely would. Mm. But yeah, you're quite right. the truth is, the problem is mate, you probably would have bought it for somebody else and then you'd be ticked off that they had all this <laughs> money that you gave them hanging on their wall. You'd have to invite yourself over for dinner and nick it, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, but then again, one, you know, what's one worth now? I and, mean, you know, even if it's $300, it's not a vast sum unless you've got a quantity of them. Although I suppose... In theory, that share they've split several times, so that one share would be, yeah, um, probably be worth what I don't know, twenty-one shares or forty shares or something. I forget how many times they've split now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking on Yahoo Finance, but it's a whole load of numbers and graphs that don't seem to mean very much. Mm. <laughs> Often the case. Yeah, there's people that make money by looking at these graphs, by the way. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> there was some. Um, because the other the other famous story like that isn't it is the the third original member of Apple I think he was the third the the slightly older oh, guy yes, right. who um helped bankroll um Steve, the two Steves and after a while um you know he said I, I I don't think I'm really in this for the long haul and so he sold them back his share for something like four hundred dollars um wow. and went off and went off to do something else. you know this is only like a year into apple being an actual incorporated company something like that anyway and he sold them back the thing and when he's been interviewed since saying if you'd kept your share you know you'd be worth half a trillion pounds or something and he said <laughs> yeah but that's easy to say now looking back and you know i don't regret it because right at the time i needed four hundred dollars more than i needed a third share in apple which was a tiny little startup in a garage which might or might not actually go anywhere and the vast majority don't go anywhere of course it wasn't there a, a masseuse in there as well somewhere it was like the 12th employee or something i'm sure i've read that somewhere and that they made themselves you know seven figures yeah um, there's all sorts of you know it's one of it's a bit like when we had John Louis Gasset on. We didn't really get into it, but sometimes, you know, in these things, particularly in new industries like computing or you know maybe AI now or or something else, 
you know, if you're in at the start and happen to be, you know, meet the right person at the right time and stick with it, you can mm. end up being, you know, massively wealthy for, you know, not much more than being the tea boy if you're lucky, you know. I, I've often thought that, you know, if you if you could, if if time travel did exist. <laughs> You wouldn't have to actually do an awful lot of investing, would you? You just put a few, a little bit of money in the right places. <laughs> yeah, if you knew where it was going to go. And then when you return to the present, you'd, you'd be very wealthy. Yeah. You'd be very wealthy indeed. But um, by the law of multiple universes, that you would actually come back to a different universe. Ah, well, that's Pete's true. Yes. Um, but Pete, <laughs> you've done fantastically well. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be really tick because that, that, that time machine was expensive, you know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, you end up in a universe where time machines don't exist. So, yeah. <laughs> so you can't actually get back and change it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you'd, you'd, come, you'd come back and you'd find you'd invested all your money in Microsoft and Apple only to come back and find that they failed miserably and Acorn, Acorn took over the world, you know. <laughs> or Amiga. Great. I mean, you know, some of these machines back there, I don't know. I, I, I had, like everybody else of my age that liked computers, I had a ZX81 with a 16K RAM pack. Held oh, on. that was my first computer. Yeah. There you go. Now, but everybody after that bought a Spectrum. Okay. I didn't. I bought an Oric 1. Do you remember the Oric 1? I because remember the name. Really, I don't think I ever knew. Yeah. It was amazing. It was, a, and yeah. it was much better. I went. I went to even more exotic. I ended up with the Dragon Thirty Two. Oh, now you see that's that 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 means that your family had money, you know. Whereas we we had cardboard boxes, my Oric one. But it, it, yeah, I mean, it was a great machine. You just think, well, you know, where did they go? Where did they go wrong? Uh, and then, of course, the Commodores and the Commodore Pets and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, it, it was interesting computing. I think actually it's one of the things that I, I, I sort of bemoan these days is and actually we are seeing a change in schools is that kids have become very user interface focused. They know how to click UIs. They know how to tap screens. Yeah. Um, but so few have any interest in constructing what is behind the scenes. Uh, and it's good to see that schools are now bringing in simple scripting and, you know, some of the graphical scripting tools like, is it Scratch? I think it's Scratch, yeah. My, my boy um, did some stuff to see that happening because we, we've got a bit of a generation of clickers, actually. An awful lot of kids who know how to use computers but not really understand them, not really a lot of a lot of content creators but not the people that know how to create the systems that enable you to create content. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think hopefully that is changing a little bit because I think it's been seen that there, there was a gap uh, there in, in learning. Um, yeah, youngsters these days wouldn't know what to, what to do with a C prompt if, if you hit them <laughs> in the face. <laughs> I, I, teach a, I teach a memory analysis class, so computer memory analysis class. Um, and we live in a command shell for five days. And it's my happy days, actually. <laughs> and uh, you, you see people under, trying to understand why you're hitting the tab key and it seems to be doing magic things. and and I just love, love being in a terminal. And um, it's, you know, where I grew up, the ZX81 coding programs from magazines, you know, that you bought, yeah. uh, bought in the, uh, I was going to say estate agent, then the news agent. Yeah, uh, for hours until, until the 16K ramp up wobbled and then you lost everything. Death. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or your tape player, you didn't have it quite on the right volume. Do you know, there's going to be a whole category of people listening to this going, who are what? these people? <laughs> <laughs> what are they talking about? Well, <laughs> My brother had actually. My brother had a a, a ZX eighty one, and um, he was quite into it. And if those who know the ZX eighty one know that it had an awful one of those membrane. 
keyboards like yes, uh, yeah, like yeah. pocket calculators used to have. I still have them, by the way. Still have it upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, if you, could be worth something now. If you go and take a look on Twitter uh, at the retro computing kind of threads, there are yeah. a whole load of people who are really into, um, you know, the Spectrum and various other old computers of that age and bringing them back to life and playing games on them and all sorts. But my brother, for his ZX81, um, got tired of the, the um, membrane keyboard because, you know, when you're sitting there typing in, trying to type in code from magazines, as you say, um, the fact that you couldn't always register if the damn button had pressed properly was highly annoying. So uh, not, not only that, not only that, the, the, the way that the uh, that and the spectrum worked you, uh, to type in commands, you had to press three or four keys at the same time quite often. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> quite you had to hold down three keys while pressing another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, they, they were great. I mean, I, I used to love my ZX81. I still have it. I'd love to plug it in and see if it still works. Um, but, and I've got my Auric one as well, uh, oh, amazingly, well, yeah. upstairs. So, but, um, um, yeah, my brother cool. got into buying, you know, like upgrading his, his mm-hmm. um, ZX81. So he bought um, what was effectively a rubber mat keyboard, which stuck onto the top of the membrane keyboard to oh, give it a rubber mem a rubber you know sort of chiclet not you know but a rubber Very mat clever. type keyboard yeah. like the like the spectrum had and um he also decided he wanted the 16k uh upgrade but everybody knew that the sinclair 16k ram pack was notorious and suffered from ram pack wobble because it just sort of yeah. stuck on that edge board so my brother bought a third party one, which was in a, a long, thin strip rather than just a block. And it was designed so that it went onto the back edge of the uh, ZX81, uh, went onto the edge connector, obviously, but it had two pieces of Velcro, which you stuck on the t- two ends of the back of the um, ZX81 so that the thing was stuck solidly like a bar, like a sound bar effectively stuck yeah, on no, the back. Like Natalie, yeah, yeah, and that meant he did not suffer from the dreaded Ram Pack wobble because his memory expansion was stuck on. Um, and it was That's a very really good. Cool. <laughs> that was a stuff. brilliant design. And he got into all sorts yeah. of things. He got a um, he bought a soundboard and he bought a, a programmable um, a joystick controller uh, board, which sounds really slick but actually was like uh, a board which plugged in to the uh into one of the inputs and had uh, a variety of pins and some uh crocodile clips on wires which allowed you to select which inputs did what <laughs> very high no, tech all those kits all those little sort of hobbyist kits and they had that little expansion little expansion port at the back and, uh, it's amazing what you could do on that little thing. It's uh... yeah. I think we should just apologise to anybody under the age of forty-five um, who <laughs> <Yeah>. has no <laughs> idea what we're talking about. The the nearest equivalent, of course, these days is um, of course the lovely Raspberry Pi. Um, you know, for anybody who wants to get into that sort of thing, you can. You know, there are the ones that start from a fiver or whatever it is. There's the Raspberry Pi Zero. Um, they've new, just brought out another new one, the Raspberry Pi Pico, um, which is another sort of sub ten pound um, logic board. And then they do a whole load of expansion things that you can buy if you want to learn how to code and build things. And uh, and there's yeah, actually ways yeah, and all I, sorts I, of. I, um... You can get Bitcoin ATMs, and if you've ever seen them in little corner shops, you walk in, they look like an ATM, but you can put cash in and get Bitcoin out, sort of bleep to your phone. And uh, they're quite big things, and they weigh an absolute ton. 
I took one apart recently and actually literally just screwed you sort of the front sort of leant forward if you know what I mean when you undid it all and uh, it was just a Raspberry Pi stuck to the back of the screen yeah. <laughs> Why not? empty box with big bits of metal in it to make it heavy yeah. and it was just a cash but cash board uh, a touch screen uh, a little scanner to uh, scan your the QR code on your phone and um, little tiny Raspberry Pi with a couple of USB connectors on it That's all yeah. it was. clever stuff yeah and they cost blinking thousands yeah 10 grand these things well and, it's um, like um Tim Tim Robertson um from the tech fan it, one of his hobbies is is making arcade cabinets um now I think he's got a couple of actual you know original arcade cabinets with the original you know boards in and whatnot but he's built several which um you know are, are built on raspberry pis I think so he, he's got a full size cabinet and he buys you know actual um arcade grade controller switches and and, and all that and, and builds an actual arcade cabinet but often inside them, there's nothing more than a Raspberry Pi. So. Yeah. <laughs> really? There you go. Oh, dear. Yeah, well, that's yeah, fascinating stuff. But yes, um, yeah. if anybody wants to get into that sort of thing, Raspberry Pi is probably the way to go. Um, it is indeed. And you can buy a... I mean, as we, we mentioned the other day, you can buy a, a full-blown Raspberry Pi desktop now in a keyboard, so rather like the, some of the early machines. Um, and the full pack is 100 quid. Um Buy yourself a Linux desktop for a hundred quid. Yeah, there we are. Amazing. But I, I think that's. I think it's great that the Raspberry Pi is, is making a huge, you know, impact. And for those who want to learn how to do coding and build things, and that's a, you know, fabulous. And you don't have to spend a lot of money, so it is suitable for kids. You know, I mean, some of them are pocket money prices. If you're talking about yeah. buying a Raspberry Pi for well, anywhere between five and thirty pounds. You know, so I keep thinking about buying myself one just to see, you know, just to make a a, a miniature Linux desktop and put it in a little tiny, you know, tobacco tin case and get one of those little keyboards that's about the size of a mobile phone. And um, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a little monitor under my bed, which is sort of about five inches across. My dad yeah. gave it to me. It was meant to be a miniature portable TV, but you can use it as a monitor. So, yeah, fabulous. There we are. I know, I know that Nick is running out of time because oh, you know, yeah. Sorry. that's all right. That's all right. You know, thank you for coming on and uh, talking to us, Nick. And um, oh, yeah. an absolute pleasure and, and a bit of a hoot for oh, a, a bit of a hoot. Why not? Indeed, indeed. So, um, before you shoot off, then, Nick, um, do would you like to just tell people where they can find out about you or follow you on social media or anything? An extraordinarily small possibility that anyone would wish to do that. Um, they are welcome. So NickFX on Twitter, so N-I-C-K-F-X, as in Foxtrot X-Ray, and just Nick Berno on LinkedIn. So Nick and then the ridiculously long French spelling, which is F-U-R-N-E-A-U-X. Or if you just Google CSI Tech, uh, you'll find there's, there's a US company, actually, which isn't us, and there's a, a UK company, which is us. So always welcome to look me up. But uh, don't please don't get in contact asking if I know anything about investing in Bitcoin, because <laughs> I absolutely do not. Well, so definitely. someone said, hey, Cor, you must have loads in Bitcoin. I actually showed them my wallet, <laughs> where I have a, a total of £847 in Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> not exciting, you know, not, not exciting. Yeah, they, what you need then for that is you, you'd have to get one of those little recordings, you know, the one of Steve Jobs where he goes, uh, no. <laughs> Can you give me advice on investing? Uh, no. <laughs> 
dear, oh dear. Right. Well, I will put those links in the show notes so that anybody who's listening can follow them should they like. Um, I've also put a link into your um your friend Christopher Hadnagy, who uh, yeah, ADNAGY. That he's just brought a new book out. Um, his very latest book on social engineering techniques. It's a fantastic read. I'm not quite sure why I'm promoting his book, but it's very very good. Well, why not? So. It's a good book, and uh, you can find him by the way at social social hyphen engineer.com you can very good yes there we go the power of you know if only we had a way of searching for things whilst talking <laughs> over Google the internet yeah, yeah, there we are. All right then, Nick. Well, thanks very much for coming on, mate. That was fascinating um, and very, you know, good laugh, as you say. So we'll let you pop off so you've got time yeah, to get I a glass of water. Off. Thank you for having me. And uh, everybody have uh, a nice rest of your day. Yeah, yeah. cheers, Nick. Yeah, Take cheers, care, Nick. Bye, All right. Bye. Bye, mate. Oh, that was fun. A bit of um, learning about cryptocurrency backed up by some old fart ramblings about old computers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't need much encouragement, do we? To no, we don't. No, we don't need our much early days of computing. Ramble <laughs> off at odd tangents where anybody, as uh, as Nick said, anybody under the age of forty-five is going, "What the hell are they talking about?" <laughs> Oh, right. So um, there's not. Well, I haven't really done any research about news, Nick, but what I thought we could talk a little bit about, um, not that we you know, know huge amounts about it, but there's been this huge furore about um, WhatsApp, which um, has been, you know, rolling on for a couple of weeks. And that's all been uh, about the fact that, you know, uh, WhatsApp changed their privacy policy. Um, and apparently, the truth of it is, according to the articles I read, uh, not very much in reality, but somehow yeah. they managed to completely fluff up their PR and it, the impression was given or got out that uh, what they were saying is if you signed up to this new policy, they'd be able to read all your messages, which isn't actually yeah. true, which isn't actually true. But that's a whole... What it did do, however, is make an awful lot of people aware of just how much uh, information WhatsApp was hoovering up and passing over to Facebook, which uh, upset lots of people. So um, there was a sort of, you know, uh, as somebody described it, you know, it's quite hilarious that a fake rumour um, about WhatsApp has led, you know, tens of millions of people to flee whatsapp uh in search of alternative messaging services um i will it does, seem, it does seem a bit strange i mean i mean the fact is if you if you believe you're you're assured that your messaging is encrypted you believe that no one's looking at it but we all know that the internet's the internet <laughs> and if you're a geek you know the internet is the internet and everything on there is fair game um and particularly for companies that happen to be owned now by facebook <laughs> Yeah, well, of course. So, I mean, I know I know that WhatsApp is is owned by Facebook. It doesn't stop me using WhatsApp um, no. as it happened. And but, as it, um, uh, you know, but I can understand why it would frighten some people. Uh, uh, well, of course, the thing is, this this rumor got out that you know they were going to start monitoring. Yeah, be, well, I, I actually had I actually had one or two contacts from people who thought that the uh, that what you posted was going to end up on what on uh, on Facebook. Yeah. Um, which again, yeah, which, is... which again wasn't true at all, but that that's the impression people had been given. And um, 
I will find out some of the articles and put them in the show notes. But people, um, yeah, some people got very, very frightened indeed. I mean, WhatsApp are now trying to backpedal and say, look, we haven't actually made a huge change in the privacy policy. All we've said really is that we're going to make it clear that some of the data we collect about you will be shared with Facebook, who are our parent company. And uh, we're just going to say you have to agree to that. Um, But your messages are end-to-end encrypted. Facebook slash WhatsApp themselves cannot read what is in your, you know, it's end-to-end encrypted. They don't hold any keys or anything else. Um, But they do hoover up all sorts of other data about you, which they gather from your using the app. Um, So, as we said, I think it was last week, um, you know, tens of millions of people fleeing WhatsApp is still quite a lot of people. But in, you know... In comparison to their two billion or whatever it is daily users, um, it's pocket change. I'm pretty sure they're more worried about the PR damage, to be honest, as far as I can see. Um, so, what, so what are the? Um, I mean, we've already mentioned them earlier on before the show started, but what are some of the alternatives to? Right. Well, I mean, there are an endless stream of messaging services available. If you, you know, um, the the one of the big, biggest and most popular alternatives is Signal from Whisper System. And Signal is very much um, a privacy-focused company. Their, mm-hmm. you know, their shtick has always been that it's secure, private messaging, end-to-end encrypted, and all the rest. We don't collect anything about you, and uh, well, basically it's a secure, end-to-end encrypted uh, messaging service. So uh, that, if you, you know, if you wish to flee from WhatsApp for whatever reason, that is probably high on the list of good alternatives. Um, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at the uh, at their web page. It looks very similar to WhatsApp, <laughs> yeah. which you'd expect, really, because it's a messaging service. <laughs> it's a messaging service. Yes, it is. Um, and share if, without insecurity. Mm. Yeah, if you if you wanted to move then signal would probably be a very good choice indeed um the... it's it's going to be the problem is going to be isn't it that a little bit like why so many people still stick with facebook is if everyone's in facebook why would you go somewhere else exactly um, and, and, and unless you're absolutely you know terrified of, of 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 you know and you want your privacy completely protected there's no point protecting your privacy so much that you can't actually talk to anyone else because that's the whole point of a messenger yes <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Um, the, I guess it. Hurt. The other problem um, that you get is, of course, yeah, you know, exposure. If 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 everybody is on WhatsApp, it doesn't matter how secure Signal is if none of your friends use it. Yeah. However, that's right. um, I think a lot of messaging systems are, you know, have all over the web. You know, everybody tends to mention, obviously, Signal and Telegram. We'll get to Telegram in a minute. Um, but big exposure like that can suddenly bring a, a service into people's, you know, to people's attention and people might start yeah. using it. Yeah. And what you get, I mean, let's face it, most of us, I don't know about you, Nick, but I mean, if I look at my phone, I've got, I've got two or three different messaging apps. Um, yes, yes, I have. I've got Messenger and uh, yeah. Facebook Messenger and exactly. WhatsApp. You know, because, you know, certain people or groups will silo themselves into one or another um yes i don't use it now but there's a there's a system called kick which is k-i-k um which is another messaging system um and i don't use it now but i used to use it when i played uh world of warcraft online a lot and um 
the guild that I was in, uh, the guild master said, we'll run the guild chat on kick. So everybody had kick. And uh, right. so everybody who was in the guild, all the guild messages and whatnot went through kick. Why he chose kick, I don't know. He just did. Maybe that was the one he was, you know, happened to be using. Or maybe he just picked it as something different from everything else that he was using so that, you know, kick was where guild World of Warcraft stuff went and all his other stuff was somewhere else. Um, of course, WhatsApp saw a big influx, uh, um, as as did um, uh, Zoom. WhatsApp saw a big influx at the beginning of lockdown because people wanted to stay in touch with one another. Yes, and uh, and WhatsApp seemed to be Popular, the in thing know. to. But it's, yeah, it's, it's the to classic. Suggest at the time, it's the classic. You know, Photoshop. Everybody thinks they have to have Photoshop because Photoshop is the you know the biggest and most well-known yes. photo editor in the world. Although, as we know, you know, the perfectly good alternatives are available if you do not feel that you wish to spend as much money as as Photoshop. Um, mm -hmm. And as I endlessly say, you know, why does everybody use Microsoft Office? Because everybody uses Microsoft Office. It's the no one gets fired for buying IBM phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. You know, there are lots of perfect having said, having said that, out uh, there. Yeah, having said that, I mean, I suppose I'm a little bit uh, biased, but uh, Excel is one of the best spreadsheets. There. Oh, Yeah. Yes, I mean, uh, it's. I mean, Word isn't one of the best word processors, in my opinion. But, no, uh, it, it's but, not. but Excel is definitely one of the best spreadsheets. Yes, and of course, but, you, and, and I, you get the network tie-in. You know, when companies start using yes. it, if you're if you're using, you know, people get, uh, I don't know, you know, particularly bigger companies, enterprise companies, to get into using, I don't know, SharePoint or Exchange or. Well, that's right. Once you're actually start buying in, then you might as well go the whole hog. Well, exactly, and, and, because and if you get a lot, if you if you're paying Microsoft to run your infrastructure and your SharePoint and your servers and whatnot for your enterprise, why would you? It doesn't matter. Why would you go to LibreOffice? Because then, if there's some sort of problem, Microsoft are going to go. Well, that's nothing to do with us, right? But yeah, if, if you right. If whereas you, if you're a small if you're a small company, or you know, and by small I mean I don't know twenty, thirty employees or whatever. Yeah. Um, then you might you might choose to use something completely different because you don't have to be compatible with anybody else. Yeah. Precisely. So uh, you know, and 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 those people can learn how to use it in a way where they can export um, Excel versions of whatever whatever it is they're sending out. Um, I mean, so I... yeah, it it very much it very much depends on on volume, and that's part of the issue with WhatsApp, isn't it? I mean, it's just sheer number of people on there. Yes, but you know, everybody joins it because that's where everybody else is. Um, I've never been a WhatsApp user, but that's because I won't have anything trucked to do with Facebook. <laughs> um, no, but then it's again... been a, it's been a, in all honesty. I mean, I, I suppose any messenger would have been, but it's been a, it's been a saviour for our church community really to keep in touch with one another. Yeah, you know, um, and actually... we needed some way of, of of being together, even though we couldn't be together. And uh, and WhatsApp has actually fulfilled that pretty well and... for us. But it could have it could have been any messenger. Yes, but um, as it happens, despite my dis, you know dislike and distrust of Facebook um, and uh, the fact that I don't use WhatsApp because of that, um, technically speaking, 
WhatsApp is one of the better, you know, more secure messaging services you can use. Yes. And of and course, originally, it wasn't part of Facebook. No, not until it became <laughs> bought by Facebook. And then That's Facebook, right. you know, said that they would not kind of subsume it, but would run it as a separate thing, and then went back on their word, which is why most of the people who were the founders of WhatsApp, you know, threw their cards on the yes. table in peak and went off to do something else. Um and if you're already on Facebook, then actually... Yes, then, then what, what are you worrying about? <laughs> you, you, if you're already a Facebook user, then actually there's very little difference. See, it, for me, I would not choose to use WhatsApp because I'm not on Facebook, so I don't want Facebook to learn anything about me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Through my use yeah. of WhatsApp. Um, however, until, you know... Um, the other thing, of course, to bring up about this whole thing is uh, if you're in the EU... These changes that um, WhatsApp slash Facebook want to make don't apply because the European... Oh, right. I hadn't realised that. Yes. The European <laughs> rules, no, the rules imposed on um, those kind of things by uh, the European Union legislation means that Facebook can't, uh, Facebook slash WhatsApp can't impose them in the EU. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, of course, at the moment, uh, if you're in the UK, technically... Um, we're no longer part of the EU, but we currently still fall under the EU. Um, when that yes, the, ends, the rules still apply at the moment until we change apply. them. But of course, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm no doubt as soon as we are no longer protected by the EU, Facebook will force everybody to in you know in the UK to shift to uh, agreeing to this new policy. Um, oh, I expect so. But it doesn't. because yeah. <laughs> it's Facebook's model, isn't it? Facebook's model is to get just yeah, get everything. eat as much data for dinner as possible. But yeah. um, as I say, if you're already on Facebook, I don't think it really going to make a lot of difference. Um, and no, you, you know right. me, Nick, you know, I'm fairly tinfoil hatted. But, um, you know, if you want to leave, um, all I say is, yeah, there are plenty of options out there. Uh, Signal being one of the most famous. There's Wire, which we use, obviously, to record this podcast, but also is a perfectly good messaging app. Yeah, um, yeah. That, you know, lesser known, I know. and you Maybe probably... slightly more fiddly to set up. Possibly, possibly. But, I mean, you know, there's Skype. If you want, you know, again, Skype is a sort of yeah. semi-video calling, yeah. but also can be used as a chat app. There's Kit. There's, there's, um, you know, there's services like Viber, which is um, actually was one of the first voice over IP, um, you know, free calls via the internet applications on that iPhone. I think that came out almost as soon as the phone app store was available. Um, oh, right. Yeah, Viber. Um, I... I used that for a little while, actually, when it was, you know, pretty much the only voice over IP available on um, on the iPhone. Um, then I think Skype came it... along. I think Skype got onto the iPhone and, you know, I already had lots of contact in Skype. So why would I start trying to build a new network with Viber, you know? Um, yeah. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to uh, be able to trace the growth of something like Zoom or WhatsApp? and Because it's quite obvious from the last 12 months that some things will grow simply because of circumstance yeah uh, and they'll grow very rapidly because of word of mouth yeah i mean no, zoom because it because it wasn't zoom's advertising that sold it was it at all no. it was just that suddenly everyone kept saying oh well we we could zoom i found I, something called zoom yeah uh, I mean, and and before you knew it everyone you knew used zoom <laughs> it, it, it's the thing with zoom certainly originally was it's been it'd been around for a while yeah, um, it's hard. But 
somehow i think the fact that you could get zoom and have sort of groups of up to 50 people for free was a big yeah. thing and people cottoned onto that you got to remember that most of the the other kind of apps that provide that were you know are really targeted at enterprise and therefore charge they are and they were quite expensive too so charge quite hefty fees um yeah i know but it's it's just it's just weird it's just weird that the um it was really the circumstances at the time. Yes, they that happened actually drove to be, the growth. They were in the right place at the right time, and that's why initially yes. there was all this stuff about how insecure Zoom was because the sort of limited market that they were dealing with initially probably didn't either didn't know or didn't care or it wasn't that important. Yeah, you know, they were small companies maybe using it to you know Zoom call each other you know across I don't know let's say three or four offices and um, it would have been really interesting to be a fly on the wall in the company during those early days wouldn't it mm, you know oh my god you <laughs> know it, our uptake yeah, has gone what's happened? skyrocketed and we're like completely overwhelmed and then all of a sudden oh my god people have cottoned on that it's not very secure what are we going to do um i also i also think that um uh, i mean I, I think we've said before how lucky we are to have um f- for the lockdowns to have happened now oh um, yeah because it's because not long ago infrastructure wouldn't have been able to cope with that the growth that that they saw, no. and it's only because they used something like, um, uh, Amazon Web Services that Amazon Web Services could absorb that growth. Yeah, just and do it almost instantaneously. You know, you need another um, twenty servers. Here you go. You know, you need another. That's right. You know, not um, let's go out and let's go out and find out what the best price on the servers are and blah 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 blah. It's literally. Switch, 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 switch. Yeah. There we go. We've got some new servers. More servers. And, uh, and without more... that, yeah. without that, they couldn't possibly have grown that quickly. I mean... So, yeah, fascinating time. I think, to my mind, the, the Zoom came along, you know, well, they, they'd existed before that, but, they, you know, they happened to hit it big because of, you know, the pandemic and, you know, good for them. And, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give them some credit where credit's due. You know, at first I was they, I was sceptical and they seemed a bit sketchy and their, you know, their security record wasn't very good and there were holes all over the place. But they stepped up to the plate pretty quickly and, yeah. you know, the Zoom... I think the other advantage, I think the other advantage was that they, as you say, they'd been around a while, so they'd already refined the tool quite a lot to yes. make it do what people wanted it to do. Exactly. So, uh, so it's not, it's not like they had to add lots of functionality right at the beginning because they'd already done it. Yeah, they so, just needed yeah. to tighten up the security. They added things like the waiting yes. room and, and you know yeah, not putting right. not putting the meeting you know not putting the meeting thing in the window header and, and things like that. Yes. Um, yes, because as you say, that uh, probably up till then they're mostly businesses and no one no one was thinking about people. <laughs> Well, because no one, you're not likely to be Zoom bombed, are you? If people have never heard of Zoom, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, but and... suddenly everyone had heard of it, and, and yeah, now you had to be a bit more careful. So there was that. But, but yeah, it's fascinating, and I think WhatsApp had a similar sort of growth. Probably, maybe not quite as dramatic as Zoom. I mean, WhatsApp but a similar sort of growth. I think WhatsApp had two things. WhatsApp was an up and coming app and it was you know beginning to become well heard of and well known and then facebook bought it which you know they then no doubt started promoting it so then it probably saw a huge uptick in in usage as facebook users all clambered on board um yeah and it is it's the network effect more people get more people because people start saying oh i'll you know telling all their mates i've found this fabulous new messenger um yeah 
And as, just... as we've said before, as we've observed before, and as Apple have found before, just introducing a service, if not if not many people are on it, then that's not going to that's not going to sell it. No, <laughs> people aren't going to come and join it. What was it called? The Apple um, Music thing? Oh. <sighs> I've completely know. forgotten. Good, because nobody you know, knows. You know the social networking thing they tried to build into iTunes. And yeah, whatever. but it was it, it was a weird thing where all it really did was tell your mates what music you were listening to or something. It was yeah. a bit like you know, or but, sort of you could. Uh, but that's that's a perfect up. example of that's a perfect example with coming up with an idea, but it, it not being the right place at the right well, didn't time. Didn't they do it? T- didn't they do it twice? Because there was one where you kind of favourited things and whatnot, and then then they scrapped that and they did another one called Connect. And the idea was that you could, yeah, that you could kind of get in a group with people who listened to the same band, or you know where the band could put messages and things. But that bombed equally as fast. Yeah. Um, but it, that just shows that um, it's been a lot. A lot of it is being in the right place at the right time, isn't it? And having yes. a good tool in, as well. Yeah, I mean, I liken it in in some respects to Skype because. Um, I know Skype belongs to Microsoft now and, you know, it's become a bit of a bloated pig and tries to do everything. But back in its early days, one of the things about Skype was it was a fairly simple messenger and voice over IP tool. Yes. Um, and it was, and the, it was the only one around about that time. Well, it added, I think, I think they added video calling quite soon. But yeah. um, I like can remember the very early days that the, the, there was quite a lot of um, there was quite a lot of uh, latency and issues and oh, things and it all from its very early days. But it, so, I mean, they they sort of they sort of um, laid the seed for everybody else, really. But the thing that the big thing with Skype was it, it appeared at a time when everybody was using you know you'd have Yahoo Messenger slash AIM, you would have MSN, yeah. you would have all these you know, and if you and if you were into, um, you know, into yeah, that. You'd have your thing, message message aggregators, wouldn't you? Software. You would have, you know, there would, yeah, you would use uh, various message aggregators, um, or you would have three or four different windows open on your, you know, on your monitor. You'd have your AIM chat there, and your, um, you know, and your MSN messenger, and um, I can't remember some. Yeah, they were one, I'm trying to remember some of the names now, but, but yeah, there were quite there were quite a few out there. Yes, but none of them talked time. to each other. Yeah, true. And this this was the thing, and that's effectively the same thing, of course, that you get on your on your on your phone. Um, yes, you know where you've got kick and wire and uh, signal and telegram and and all the rest um i said i was going to talk about telegram i'm going to one thing i will say about telegram is a lot of people you'll see a lot of articles saying or telegram um which is also secure uh telegram's not actually particularly secure um but telegram is weird because it's kind of part messenger and part sort of social networky type thing there are channels there are channels like public channels in telegram so in in some ways it's more like twitter like you can private message people and you can do secret messages which are end-to-end encrypted but most of the rest of stuff on telegram is not end-to-end encrypted it's just public shouty out into the universe like twitter um so i'm not sure i would listen it says it says on their website telegram messages are heavily encrypted Mm. (laughs) <laughs> but not by default and not most of the time. 
So, ah, right. You know, secret messages, i.e., you know, what the rest of us might call DMs, but even then you have to make sure you've got it turned on. Um, but Telegram's original concept was not actually to be a person-to-person messenger. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an oddity. It's a sort of a, a weird one. Um, but what I was saying about Skype was that Skype came along and it was kind of, it was cross-platform, it was easy to install, um... And worked on almost everything everywhere. And yes. very quickly became very popular because as long as you'd got Skype, it didn't matter what platform you were on, it didn't, you know, and uh, because it was easy and it did video. Uh, I think, current member, I think AIM might have had video at the time, video calling, mm, but I don't I think don't MSN did. And it would, anyway, no. it, it came along and it offered something new and simple and easy and people started, you know, taking it up. And in no time flat, everybody was using Skype and, you know, AIM, Yahoo Messenger and MSN were languishing in the dust, you know, from... And, th- and that went on for a wa- quite a while. And then suddenly um, everyone fell out of love with it, partly because the, the software team behind Skype decided that they'd changed the interface quite dramatically, <laughs> quite regularly. Yes. <laughs> Which meant that people just lost the will to try and keep up with the changes and every time they opened the blooming thing it looked different it it looked different and the other thing was you know in the early days uh the skype interface was like a tiny little palette at least on the mac um which you could you know put in the top corner of your screen and just leave there with your contacts and um there was even like a sort of a, a special compact version that you could have floating over in the corner. Um, but then they went, for, uh, I think it was on Windows first, they introduced the one which is sort of the grandfather of the current one, but it takes up, you know, half of your screen and has yeah. honk, honking great thing of the contacts down the side and, you know, and, oh, and and then they started adding all these other things, you know, stickers and chat channels and movies and, yeah, it's just become a, <laughs> a bit of like a mess. anything, it's become a mess and but Microsoft did but it help. does still it does still work pretty well. I mean, as, uh, oh yeah. Uh, when I'm using um, uh, Ecamm Live, uh, originally um, it used Skype as its it had that built into it. Yes. Uh, as it as its as its chatting agent, yeah. and it actually worked pretty well. Um, uh, they've now built in they've baked in their own version now with their own servers and whatever. Um, which I think works a little uh, a little better still, but but the, the the Skype's a good fallback. It still works fine now. It's just that everyone's found other things now. Yes, everybody's <laughs> found other things, and I mean, you know, when when I first you know started doing this podcast with Mark, um, we used Skype. Um, Wire came along, and we tr- opted to give it a try, partly out of interest and partly because. Um, we would have times where Skype would, you know, the latency or the distortion yeah. in, in Skype or, you know, if Mark was on poor bandwidth, it would be, you know, buggy and drop the calls and, or, you know, drop bits of his audio. And, um, yes, it, yes. At times it became a little unreliable as well. And, yeah. yeah. So, and also I think it didn't help matters. <laughs> no, it didn't. And when we first, you know, started using wire, it was like, you know, an unheard of service and yeah, 
sure, you know, we joined it really quite early. So there are sometimes in the early days where we had issues with wire. Um, yeah. You know, uh, one particular... Having said that, wire's been very reliable since, hasn't it? Yes. So. I mean, those were in the yeah. early days. And, you know, there was, I think there's one where we had a total wire meltdown and people were getting kicked off the thing and, you know, dropped out <laughs> the call and the, it all went to hell. But um, Yes, there's st- still an occasional... Um, hiccup when we're trying to get people on isn't there but yeah, uh, but, but usually a restart does it <laughs> yeah um but one of the main reasons we started using it is because we found it was you know it was less system uh process heavy yeah and yeah, less bandwidth thing, wasn't it? you know uh, yes yeah you know when i mean mark had a fairly old machine i had a 2012 macbook pro um we just found that wire was lighter on the system. And when you're trying to do voice over IP and record it and, and do all the rest, anything that gets the sound across with less overhead was good. Um, but yeah, we've, we've fallen back to Skype before occasionally when we've had trouble, you know, or, or people, you know, I've never heard of wire and I don't want to use it. It's like, you know, we've had guests who said, Oh, you know, I, Oh yeah. Yeah. And we've fallen back on Skype and it's been fine. Yeah. So. You know, um, I've I've used Discord once or twice, I think. Um, talking about uh, talking about new bits of kit, uh, I I am uh, I am watching my front door for uh, I I decided that I'd buy myself a a, 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 a ultra wide monitor. Oh right. Um, rather than having two monitors. Yeah, get an ultra. Uh, so I, I I bought myself a nice a nice AOC. I'm not going to remember its its number, but oh, never it's mind. a 34, 34 inch wide. Um, curved monitor okay what so uh looking it, forward to that arriving so what's its aspect ratio then Nick? it's uh oh uh, now you're asking because i'm 25 25 60 by uh 1440 i think so it's 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 a 2k display right uh because the 4k ones are very expensive yeah um so at the moment i've got a 4k 24 inch display which is very nice but um i checked a little while ago and um i'm running it at 2k because otherwise everything gets too little, little too tiny, small, very very tiny yes. indeed. We end up with we end up with an icon bar at the bottom that looks like the Windows taskbar. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so small. And the, yeah. uh, so I couldn't cope with that. So I thought, I oh, know, I know, I'll I'll get I'll get rid of her. I've got I've got an older um, 1080p monitor here at, at its side. Um, uh, but uh, I thought it'd be really nice to have a. So I did lots of research. And, you can spend a lot of money on these things. Oh yes, um, but uh, I managed to find a, a reasonably price point, and it got very good reviews when it came out. It's not a brand new one. In fact, I think it's probably coming near to the end of its um, its run, as it were. Uh, there aren't that many of them about anymore. Often, uh, often a good time to buy with... one, though. That's often yes, a good time a... to buy one, because what you're yeah. buying then is the you know the last of the line. All the bugs should have been ironed out by then, and often that's you right. Can hopefully, buy it at a good price. So. You know, so I had a had a little um, a look around. There are one or two useful uh, YouTube videos that tell you how to configure the Mac because um, it's not immediately obvious. You have to do something about um, enabling um, uh, FreeSync on okay. the monitor so that the M1 Mac can see all the resolutions that are available. Otherwise, it tries to give you something that isn't appropriate. Um, and then you switch it off and switch it back on again, basically. And uh, and then the Mac can see it. Um, no. And then you can select its refresh rate, which is 144 hertz. Oh, that's quite um, good, then. So, yeah. I mean, okay, it's a gaming monitor, technically. Yeah, of but, course. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to have things side by side rather than trying to 
particularly when I started doing the um, streaming and whatever, I just found that I'd got so much cluttered on one screen. That's why I ended up buying a second one. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, having one wide one will be very useful. So yeah. That's, that's on its way. That sounds, that I'll sounds take really interesting. I'll take pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, and while we're, while we're about it, we're mentioning, um, I mentioned Discord. Um, oh, yes. Which is, another, isn't that another messaging service? Well, it's sort actually... Of. It's actually more like Slack in many ways. Um, yes. Y- you can, yeah. it doesn't do video calling, I don't think, but you can do, um, I mean, Bart, it's what Bart uses to Bart record. Bart uses it for audio, yeah. For audio, for doing um, thing. But my boy um, has a Discord server, which him and his mates and anybody else they, you know, care to send the link to, use more like Slack. They've got a load of rooms in there and they post messages and direct message each other and whatnot. Um, oh, right. And that's a bit like a, a little bit like a bulletin board. Yeah, well, yeah, yes, very much. But and they, like a private bulletin board. <laughs> yes, it is. In in and in, yeah. in in many ways, it's very similar to Slack. You know. Um, yes. And that's cool. I mean, yeah, and a, a lot of people. Uh, Donny, I think Donny's son also uses Discord. You know, him and his mates. So you can just get a Discord server and um, you know set up your own private um, cult of Mac. The Cult of Mac podcast. They yes. have a Discord uh, group in much the same way as we have a Slack. And I am actually a member of it, not that I go in there very often. But um, it's the same. You know, they've got various channels, Governor's Lounge and, you know, Hot Kit and what we're reviewing and stuff like that. Um, So that's not its original intent, I'll be honest. Um, Yeah. But it works very well for uh, that. And it's been well, become very popular. Comp- another another um, subject altogether. Uh, I just don't, I want to do a shout out for the My Mac crew uh, because um, uh, the both of them have helped me one way or another um, in in the last couple of weeks. Uh, um, a big thank you to Gaz for his tips about corners. I'd completely forgotten about corners. What, you know, corners? you can program corners to do various things. Oh, yeah. Blimey. Like yeah. put your money to sleep and things like that. I'd completely forgotten that. I... So thank you, Gaz, for reminding me about that. <laughs> I use that all the and... time. I really do. I have one which is show the desktop and one which is show all the open windows. Um... Oh, right. No, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't used it for ages. And uh, in fact, I used to... I used to know the keyboard shortcuts for uh, for switching the monitor off and things like that. So yeah. that's what I used to use. But when I got this um, Logitech keyboard, it's it's not so simple on here. So I so I stopped doing that, and uh, now all I have to do is put my mouse button in the top left hand corner, and it goes to sleep. Yeah, I couldn't. So I couldn't live without my hot brilliant. corners. Although people who use my machine um, and aren't aware of it get baffled when they go, you know, ram the mouse too clear near the corner, and things everything like vanishes. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, what, again, uh, what, uh, what um, uh, Gas was saying was you can actually assign a key to it. Yes, as well you if can. You, want. you can assign modifier keys. So if you if you don't want it to be like that, you can have to you know hold option to um, activate it or whatever. Um, yeah, we need we need reminding of these things occasionally. We so do uh, sometimes. The, the hints and tip hints and tips from Gaz's hint uh, tips are really useful Gaz's for just tips. reminding us about stuff that we'd forgot. Gaz's <laughs> tips. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to admit that they're talking about other podcasts as well. Um, Mac and Forth <clears throat> was... Um, oh, yes, I do like Mac and Forth. Yes, yeah, so I like Mac and Forth with uh, you know, Carl and, and uh, Alan and, and whatnot. Um, they saw the... Um, they saw the. I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter. I know you don't do Twitter, but you might have seen it elsewhere. Apparently, the very first Mac Pro off the production line in Texas was gifted to... Um, Donald Trump 
So he has. Oh yes, yes, I had seen he, that. He yeah. has the you know uh, Apple Mac Pro twenty nineteen or whatever it is. You know serial number one. And uh, somebody tweeted out. I see Tim Cook didn't give him the wheels though. Ha 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 ha. Um, <laughs> but uh, but Carl and Co. Uh, tweeted out, uh, you know, what a waste of a Mac Pro unless Tim gave him the fancy wheels so he could ride it around the Oval Office like a cowboy. <laughs> and I just had this vision. Was, you know, those little, like, those sort of um, no pedals, uh, sort of scoot, uh, you know, ride on things. Yeah, like yeah, I know. In play yeah. school. Yeah, where it's like, it's sort of like a bike with no pedals and you just, like, a hobby horse type thing. And I just had this vision of Donald Trump sat astride a, uh, you know, a Mac Pro with wheels on, um, with his hat on, like the guy in um, Doctor Strangelove who rides the bomb down, <laughs> you know, oh, yes. going around the going around the Oval Office shouting "Yeehaw!" Um, yeah, highly amusing. <laughs> But I, I think they're right, you know, I think Carl's right about that. You know, what a waste of a Mac Pro. I'm sure that's the only use Donald Trump would put it to. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, true. Um, I'm not sure if there's a new uh, Mac and Forth out yet. Um, if there is, I haven't listened to it. But um, uh, those guys always crack me up, I have to say. There we are. Yes, I like listening to them. I don't always agree with them, but I oh, do no. like listening to them. No, don't, don't. <laughs> I'm sure there are people shouting at us now, you know. What, oh, I'm sure there are, yes. Don't, Get don't, off, don't, you old kids. <laughs> don't agree with that, you idiot. But... Um, that's, that's the joy of doing a podcast. We get to talk. Indeed. And uh, on the whole, all we get is people who tell us how lovely it is and not messages saying, get off the air, you dozy old. Oh, now work. you've jinxed it now. Yeah, yeah. now we'll be <laughs> flooded with emails going, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Get off. No, fl- flooded with email. <laughs> yeah. flooded with an email yeah we'll be flooded with an email indeed right well Nick. that sound that sounds a little bit i'm sorry yeah that sounds a little bit like um um uh what's the name of the program the radio program we've been flooded with an email from mrs yeah oh, i can't think what it's called um someone will remind us i'm sure yeah i'm sure they will well it's um Oh, I don't know now. No, eh, it escapes me. The thing on Radio yes. Four, the, the one, the sort of the sort of review. Yes, with, with the. Uh, uh, no, it was it was a comedy thing. Oh, oh, all right. No, not not what I'm thinking of. Um, never mind. Never no, mind. my brain's gone. My brain's gone. We've been going long enough. We have indeed. <laughs> that's, a, that's it. We're we're running out of sensible things to talk about. So, um, I guess we'll wrap it up then, Nick. We'll wrap yes, it up. Yes, why not? Why not? Let's just call that a show. So, uh, you can do your usual thing. Yes, you can find me on Twitter very occasionally. I'm Spligosh, S-B-L-I-G-O-S-H. And occasionally over on Bart's show as well on Let's Talk Apple. Excellent. And uh, as you all know, you can find me uh, in the Slack group, of course. Link to join the Slack group in the show notes. Uh, we've had a few new members join us, so, uh, you know, we're doing well. Always plenty of chatter going on in there. Yeah, it's um, good to see. It is good, yes. Several of them actually came uh, from my uh, Mac user group, as it happened, after um, after I sent them a link. Oh, right. Um, and we, I think, I'm not sure if any, we've got anybody. Jolly good. Well done. I'm not sure if we've got anybody from Nemo's group. I know we've got quite a lot of Tucson Mac uh, group, Mac user group members. Um, there we go. Uh, uh-huh. You can find me on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. The show officially tweets as at Essential Apple. Um, all the stuff is 
uh, on the EssentialApple.com website. Um, don't forget about Mark's Essential Apple video channel on uh, YouTube. I think he's been putting some stuff on there, and uh, he's also, I think, got a couple more in the works. Um, I guess that's probably about it. Thank you uh, very much to Nick for coming on and telling us all about uh, his work with, you know, cryptocurrency uh, investigations. And uh, thank you for all, li- all for listening. And thank you to everybody who supports the show, as you know, via um, Patreon and uh, the Pinecast Tips Jar and uh, by retweeting our stuff and battering their friends around the head with a, you know, dead MacBook until they cave in and listen, all that sort of thing. Um, we are thinking of also opening a Kofi page where people can make small one-off donations if they like. Uh, I'm talking to Mark about that. We should be able probably to have that up, up fairly soon. Um, and on I that note... I going to say a COVID page then. No, not a COVID <laughs> page, no. Not a COVID page, no. A no. Kofi. Coffee. Kofi. Kofi, yeah. yeah. Kofi, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, well, it's what... Um, yeah, I think the idea is, yes, it's a pun on buy me a coffee. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's for small donations. Send small, you know, small donations, one-off tips, if you will. Um, so we would think, you know, we think we might as well have one of those uh, in case people want to throw small change at us. You know, um, why not? Why not? Um, can't do any harm, as it were. And I think on that note, we'll, we'll bugger off, to be honest, until next week. So uh, from Nick, me and Nick, goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club podcast, the geekiest show ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcasts, and take a listen. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome. Oh, I've suddenly remembered. I've suddenly remembered what the tip from Guy was. Um, Guy said he'd been having problems with Bluetooth oh, on yes. his new M1.
and I hadn't, but then suddenly I started having it. <laughs> uh, and it was it was to do with when I first switched it on, when I brought it from sleep. Sometimes it just wouldn't see the keyboard or it wouldn't see the mouse. And I'm using an Apple mouse, even though mm. it's not an Apple keyboard. Um, and it just wouldn't see the things, which is very annoying. And you just get the flashing green mm. light saying, oh, you know, I'm trying to connect. Um, and Guy found out that if you turn off Wi-Fi, it works. Oh. And it does. It just So it's something to do with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth together. The other um, thing that I've read. Uh, because I don't need, because I've got my um, machine plugged in straight into the router. Yeah. Um, I don't need Wi-Fi uh, on no. the Mac. So um, I turned it off and suddenly it's working again. Interesting. So, that's, that's handy. Yeah, and and it was Guy that said that. So thank you, Guy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the other thing I've read about it is it seems to be if you have multiple Bluetooth devices attached. Yes, I mean, I have got, so I've got keyboard, I've got the mouse, I've got a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, what else? Have I got anything else? No, I don't think I've got anything else. Which is so, why it seems to be mostly Mac Mini users who are yes, cause, it, because the rest yeah, of us, that's right. you know, likely only attach one Bluetooth item at a time. You know, you might attach... That's right. And if you've got a laptop, of course, all that stuff's built in. So, yeah, um, exactly. Unless, you, you know, but I'm saying if I was on the desk and I decided to use a mouse, I'd probably, you know, that would probably be the only Bluetooth device I'd be attaching. That's right. Anyway, there are some rumours that the next update, um, Apple are going to fix it. So. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a. It's weird, isn't it? It's one of those things that seems to crop up fairly regularly. And I don't know whether it's because it's complicated or whether it's because they forget about it. Or, But it seems to happen quite often. And it, there are other things in life <laughs> where something similar happens. I mean, the number of electric cars that have troubles with their 12-volt batteries, mm. you'd be surprised. I mean, and we're still only talking a small percentage yeah. of the people who own electric cars. But it's quite prevalent in all electric cars, which is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is, isn't it? You would have thought, you know, if, if, if it was just one make, then you'd say, oh, well, they've obviously not sorted out blah. But the fact that it happens in sort of all, almost all the makes seem to have problems at some time or other with their 12-volt batteries. Very strange, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And, and it's a similar thing with Bluetooth. They always seem to have problems with Bluetooth at one time or another. I think Bluetooth's a bit weird, though, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, was it Bluetooth? Oh, no, it was Flash, he said, was a bag of hurt, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blue, or, or, <laughs> but or, um... but I, I don't think he was very keen on Bluetooth either. Or oh, Blu-ray. I can't remember Blu-ray as well. Anyway, oh, well, what, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh... yeah. Blue, well, but, yeah it's, stra- weird. it's strange that this pops its head up quite often when new machines come out. Mm. Almost as, as I say, almost as if someone it's someone forgets it every time and they have to do something every time when a new machine comes out. And they always forget that switch. Yeah. Or make, whatever it is. Make the Bluetooth work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's the make the Bluetooth work switch. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us again another time. Until then, goodbye.